0: You are listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So today in the history of the church is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem and Jesus being welcomed by children who are rightfully calling Jesus the Savior, saying Hosanna to the Son of David. It's also called Passion Sunday because this entry also marks the beginning of the end for Jesus. He knows at the end of this week, he'll be journeying unto a cross. The life of Jesus is a remarkable one, a life of love in complete unity with the heart of the Father. And what we see is that when one lives a life uh, completely in the way of love, in the way of God, when you're walking in that way, in a world that does not walk in the way of love, that does not walk in the way of God, violence and resistance occurs. And that's the symbol of the cross. Christ came to give us hope out of this darkened world to show that the resurrection to come is a way forward out of the difficulty and darkness of this world. We have hope in Christ. So as I get into this passage that we read today, I want to, just go back a little bit more into Matthew chapter 20 where we read about the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who are known as John and James. Now, if you look in this excerpt uh, in the account of the Gospels, we read that uh, John and James, their mother, has gone up to Jesus. And what the mother wants for her sons is that they would share in what was to come for Jesus. And Jesus challenges them, and says, do you think you can drink this cup that I'm about to drink? And they just immediately answer, oh yeah, yeah, we can, we can. But here's the thing. These sons who are not even courageous enough to approach Jesus with this request, but rather send their mother to do it. Do they have any idea what it means to take the cup of Jesus? Then the disciples began to quarrel amongst themselves. Maybe some of them thought, man, I wish I thought of that idea of bringing in mom. Or maybe some of them were like, I can't believe they were so blatantly obvious. I mean, I've been thinking things like that, but at least I don't, you know, bring mom into it. I don't ask these kind of things out loud. And Jesus calms all their quarreling and all their discussions. And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we underestimate what it means to follow Jesus, just like all the disciples did here. You know, it's not just about a sharing of glory, power and inheritance. It's about sharing in suffering and serving and in surrendering. This kind of life can only happen when we release ourselves unto God. Last week, if you've been following some of the sermons from Evergreen Baptist Church of LA, um, Pastor Jason Hashimoto and I have been doing parallel messages, um, all centered around this idea of release. And something that I really appreciate Pastor Jason saying was that releasing is not about throwing away. It's not about discarding. It's not about jettisoning. It's about a very intentional and trusting unto God, the most important things of our lives. You see, Passion, or Palm Sunday, is a time that we remember Christ's final week. He recognized that if you want to follow me into Jerusalem, into Gethsemane, and ultimately the cross, we need to release our fears. It shows two views of this same event. In one way, completely terrifying, overwhelming. And in another way, it's an invitation. To stay with Jesus in Gethsemane means that we must see beyond our current situation to see the Father's will. I wanna talk about several things that strike me about Gethsemane in this final week of Lent. And the idea of what Gethsemane represents is very important for us in understanding the idea of release. To stay with Jesus in Gethsemane means that Gethsemane is a place where we recognize our weakness. In this passage, if you read verse 40, an alternate translation of the Greek could also be seen as, are you so unable, utterly unable to watch? These are really strong words to the disciples. Are you so utterly unable to watch? Consider that these men were so eager to leave their nets at first to become fisher of men by Jesus. And now their food their work, have made sleep more appealing than Jesus. In the moment where Jesus is terrified about the circumstances, about what's to come, so anxious, in fact, that we read in the account is that he began to sweat like drops of blood. Even though Jesus was so fragile and vulnerable in this time, his friends were not strong enough to stand by him. We have people like James and John who think they can take the cup, that they are completely qualified. We hear about grandstanding people like Peter thinking that they will never leave Jesus' side. But what Gethsemane does for us is it makes us realize we are weak. We are not as strong as we project ourselves to be. And these words expose our helplessness and frailty. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as Jesus says. In our hearts we long to do what is right, but our fleshly will does not seem to want to follow. And Paul echoes this in Romans chapter seven, verse 22 to 25, when he says, what I wanna do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't wanna do, I do. It's this realization of Paul's weakness It makes him cling tightly to the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. How gracious is God to us when we feel like we are afraid and we are weak, when we come face to face with the fact that we don't measure up, that we are not enough. Gethsemane is a place where we come face to face with our weakness. Gethsemane is also a place where we battle in prayer. Jesus knows that they're weak and tells them that they are, are uh, exactly for those reasons. And because of, that, uh, because of the fact that they're weak, they must be mindful and vigilant. There's always a temptation to see our weakness and then just give up the fight. It's just too hard, just give up, give in. Christ encourages us to fight and guard ourselves so that we can overcome. And the key that we read here is prayer. We read, um, when I was reading one Bible study uh, from Faith Life, it says something interesting. It says, their flight at the arrival of Judas in the crowd may directly link to their lack of preparedness through prayer. Each man affirmed that he would die for Jesus, but later flees. It's interesting that we can say a lot of things about who we are and what we'll be. But it's through prayer, through that wrestling of prayer that we become, that we find out who we really are in the inner being. That's why when Jesus was overwhelmed, when Jesus felt exhausted, intimidated by what was to come, what he wanted to do was to go to the garden to pray. Not just once, but we read he went three times. And I believe the three was not necessarily like he went only three times, but this sign of like a repeated repeated, uh, return unto God, looking for where God was in this moment. Some of you might know about the famous devotional, My Outmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And he reflects on the Garden of Gethsemane in a February 18 entry. And he says this, In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples went to sleep when they should have stayed awake. And once they realized what they had done, it produced despair. The sense of having done something irreversible tends to make us despair. We say, well, it's all over and ruined now. What's the point in trying anymore? If we think this kind of despair is an exception, we are mistaken. It is a very ordinary human experience. Whenever we realize we have not taken advantage of a magnificent opportunity, we are apt to sink into despair. There will be experiences like this in each of our lives. We will have times of despair caused by real events in our lives, and we will be unable to lift ourselves out of them. The disciples in this instance had done a downright unthinkable thing. They had gone to sleep instead of watching with Jesus. But our Lord came to them, taking the spiritual initiative against their despair and said, in effect, get up and do the next thing. If we are inspired by God, what is the next thing? It is to trust him absolutely and to pray on the basis of his redemption. Never let the sense of past failure defeat your next step. at least one more thing I want to share about Gethsemane. Gethsemane is about facing the real struggle of two wills inside. Gethsemane is about the struggle between fear and faith. So when we hear about Christ's prayer unto the Father, it is profoundly intimate and profoundly honest. He acknowledges If it's possible, can you take this cup away from me? But not my will, your will. And in this prayer, Christ acknowledges his fleshly will, his very real fears. And if Christ struggles with fear, then we don't have to be ashamed that we struggle with fear too. We all have struggles. We also acknowledge the Father's will to understand God's true self, to understand that maybe sometimes there are moments where we can see what God wants of our lives, but we have a disconnect from what God wants and what our heart wants. It is here that Christ is wrestling to find a peace and resolve to entrust himself unto God. I wish I could tell you that everything that we do in Christ's name is going to come out great. Everything, when you do something for God, it's always a positive outcome. And in fact, many people think this is true, so when uh, they do an act of submission or obedience unto God, if they don't get immediate results from it, often people come to me and say, did I listen to God wrong? Was it the wrong thing to do? And there's this implicit understanding is that if I just follow God's way, I'm going to be blessed and successful. And I think this teaching from Jesus tells us that sometimes leaning into God does not always mean that. And that's what makes it difficult. Jesus was always in line with the Father's will. But Gethsemane tells us sometimes it's hard. I don't know if the disciples, they were thinking, like, yeah, follow Jesus. If we just follow Jesus, we're going to end up in glory. We're going to be on the right and the left hand of Jesus. And uh, once we enter into God's kingdom, uh, that's just the way things go when you follow God. This past week, I I went through a bit of a challenge, and I just want to share personally with you. As you know, last week I had talked about my frustrations about racism growing in our country and how American Christianity has justified many racist systems. And it is a passion of mine to make sure that we stay close to the heart of Jesus, to see that Jesus has a message for all. Jesus was about breaking down the walls and divisions between people and bringing them together under the redemption of Christ. And as some of you know, I also teach at uh, SPU as an adjunct professor. And I also talk about this, how the gospel message is about shalom between the races, shalom between people. And after I had preached my message last week, Uh, I got a message from one of my students talking about, um, he had gotten a a poor grade, and uh, he was very upset, and he wrote to me about how uh, I should see a psychiatrist because I'm obsessed about talking about white privilege and about liberal agendas, and I was very dismayed. Actually, I don't know, maybe some of you watching on YouTube feel the same way as this young student. I'm not sure. Maybe some of you don't. But it was a good reminder for me that when we talk about truth, we can't think that everyone is just going to come alongside us and pat us on the back and say, great, great message, thank you, or give you great applause or great acceptance. Sometimes when we lean into what God asks of us, there's a pushback there's a cost. I think of those who have been called by God to speak truth to power. It's not always blessed with success. And in fact, people who have been calling out systems of racism, for example, they have really put themselves in a very vulnerable position. Speaking publicly means that where they work, where their relationships are, can be at risk. When we hear about things like that, when we stand up to do what God has asked of us and realize that perhaps the destination is a cross and not glory, we hesitate and maybe we're afraid. And maybe we're like Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But let me share with you something that I learned from St. Ignatius. Uh, I don't uh, profess to be an expert on this, but one thing that was profound to me in my seminary years was I had read through the spiritual examen by St. Ignatius, and he talked about two spirits, a spirit of consolation and a spirit of desolation. And the understanding is basically this, is that the spirit of consolation is anything that we are doing in a, in the spirit of the Holy Spirit and how do we know that we are in a spirit of consolation? Is that we are producing the fruits of the Spirit as illustrated by Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22 to 23, where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, great gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so what Ignatius is saying is that if you're doing things and it is producing these fruits of the Spirit, then lean into it. Continue in it because that means you are moving in the spirit and not in your flesh. You are not moving in a spirit of desolation, but in a spirit of consolation. So what's a spirit of desolation? It would be anything outside of these fruits. So if you're doing something that is producing hatred, anger, fear, then you would be recommended to stop according to the spiritual examine. Examine yourself. Identify Where are these fruits coming from? And if we could really just take this to heart, if we could really learn this, one thing that's so important to understand, if I could just communicate with all today, is that fear is not a fruit of the spirit. If we choose where we go in life, our careers, our jobs, our relationships, out of fear, We are no longer operating in the spirit of consolation. We are no longer operating in the Holy Spirit where the uh, fruits of the Spirit are being produced in us. You see, Jesus in this moment was indeed afraid, but he knew that that spirit of fear was not the spirit he wanted to submit himself to. He needed to release his fears so that he could see what the Father had for him. For all of us in Lent, maybe we're coming up against something and when we consider it, we are afraid. But could we find a safe haven, a middle ground somewhere where we can step back and not submit to fears but to release our fears unto God and say, God, let it be your will, not my will. I trust you. And when we are in that moment, when we begin to see the fruits of the spirit harvesting again in our lives, let's begin to move again. Let's release our fears unto God. God's desire for all of us in Lent is that we release those spirits of desolation. And when Jesus did so, He saw past all the pain and the suffering and what he saw was redemption and ultimately resurrection. My hope for all of us is that we don't become subject to fear, but we release our fears so that we may receive the beautiful hope and faith that comes through the resurrection of Christ. May you be blessed on this Passion Sunday.